Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Philippians. In this session, we are looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. And specifically, we're looking at the last phrase of 18, all the way down then through 26, because there's a shift that happens there in the last little phrase of 118. Before we jump into the details of the text, let's make sure we remember the context. Uh, Paul is right in the middle of sort of the update on his circumstances for the Philippians, so that they understand how things are going for him and what's going on in his imprisonment. Nevertheless, as we pointed out in our last session, Paul isn't truly giving an update on his circumstances so much as he's giving an update on how the gospel is doing. And for Paul, that really is a key concern. His circumstances are tied up with the gospel and the gospel's well-being. And so if the gospel's doing well, Paul's doing well. And that's really what's at the heart of his uh, circumstances, his update on his imprisonment that he's given to the Philippians. And so the first little bit of his update that we looked at in our last session, Paul describes how the gospel is continuing to expand and increase even in his imprisonment. It's doing so, we noted, in two ways. It's doing so in that the Praetorian Guard and all the, pa- all the people in the guard and the palace have heard that he's in prison on behalf of Jesus the Messiah. And they've heard the story about that and why Paul believes that. And we talked about how they'd heard that in various ways. So the gospel's growing that way. And then the gospel's also growing through others uh, in the faith who now there in Rome have been emboldened to preach Jesus more courageously in the city. Some are doing it out of bad motives. Some are doing it from pure motives. But nevertheless, Paul says, the gospel's being preached and in that I rejoice. And so that's the first half of his update and that's where we're at. Here in this section, we're ready to move towards the second half of his, his news report and he kind of makes a shift towards looking towards the future. So uh, the first half is about what's going on at present, how the gospel is spreading through his imprisonment. The second half is uh, more about what he anticipates in the future because of everything else that's going on. And so let's jump in. It begins this way. The last little phrase of verse 18 says, yes, and I will rejoice. He just said, I rejoice in the fact the gospel is spreading. Yes, and I will rejoice. Looking forward, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so his what is he rejoicing in? Well, he's rejoicing in the fact that Um, Christ is going to be exalted in him, regardless of what's the outcome of his trial. Let's work down through the details of verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What does he mean by this? Well, presumably, he just means this whole circumstance, this whole situation, uh, how the gospel is continuing to spread and increase even while he's in prison, how the message about Jesus is going forth through him and through others because of his imprisonment. So that's this, this situation, this circumstance, this imprisonment, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit. What does he mean by deliverance? Well, the word translated deliverance here in the New American Standard is 
uh, soteria in Greek. And soteria is the word for salvation. Um, and it, it could mean like spiritual salvation, or it could mean like physical rescue, physical salvation. It's just that word for deliverance, salvation, rescue, right? And so we have to wrestle with, well, what does it refer to here? Uh, does he mean like my deliverance from prison? Does he mean something else? And uh, it's possible he means his deliverance from prison, but notice how the sentence ends. The sentence ends with by, whether by life or by death. He doesn't seem totally confident and totally certain uh, that he's going to get out of this imprisonment alive. In fact, he goes on to say after this that I'm kind of torn both ways. I'm not totally sure. I think this is the direction it's going to go, but I don't really know. So he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of certainty about the fact that he's going to get out of prison. So that's probably not what he means by deliverance here. If it's not that, then what does he mean? Well, Peter O'Brien, in his commentary on Philippians, notes that the phrasing of verse 19 is very, very similar to Job chapter 13, verse 16, where Job expresses his confidence that in spite of the accusations leveled against him, he's going to be acquitted in God's court. And that's probably what Paul has in mind here, that this phrasing used there, echoing that, uh, phrasing of Job thirteen sixteen that Paul probably has the idea of his deliverance is, I'm going to be vindicated in God's court. People can make accusations against me. I could be imprisoned by Rome. There are people who are preaching out of bad motives, and they're trying to make life miserable for me. Maybe they have accusations against Paul. Maybe they're making some of the same accusations that Job's friends were making, that, hey, Paul, you're in prison because, you know, you're, you know, God's punishing you for something. Who knows exactly all what's going on? But but just looking linguistically at what, what Paul says here and seeing that in the context of other passages of Scripture, Paul probably means by deliverance that he's going, to be, he's going to be acquitted in God's court ultimately someday. He'll be vindicated before God. So he says, I know this, this circumstance, that the, the ongoing spread of the gospel, even in my imprisonment, both through me and through others inspired by me, is going to turn out for my my acquittal, my deliverance before God in God's court. And it's going to happen through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so Paul attributes these two things to what's really enabling this gospel ministry to go forward, to give Paul the strength and the grace and the power to continue living for Jesus, even in a difficult circumstance. And those two things are the prayers of the Philippians, um, the, the prayer of the church that's going up on his behalf, and the provision of the Spirit. And that phrase is a little unclear, the provision of the Spirit. Um, and this translation has left that ambiguity there so that we could do a little work on it. Uh, sometimes it says, the, some translations say the help of the Spirit or the aid of the Spirit. Gordon Fee in his commentaries uh, on Philippians, both God's empowering presence as well as his big commentary on Philippians, is emphatic that this word translated provision here in the New American Standard never means help or never means aid. That it always means the, the supply of, the provision of. And so uh, the, the phrase should be understood that the Spirit is what is being provided. The Spirit is what is being supplied. And uh, if Gordon Fee is correct, and I have no reason to doubt him, he has done tons of lexical work on this, that, that means that 
this deliverance is going to come about through the prayers of the Philippians and through the Spirit being provided to Paul to give him fresh power and fresh strength in order to continue living faithfully for Jesus in a difficult circumstance. And so that's how we should understand this phrase. So what Paul is saying so far is this. He's saying the fact that the gospel is still advancing while he's in prison, both through me and through others, will lead to my deliverance in God's court and your prayers, O Philippians, and the Spirit of God given to me is what's making this possible. Then Paul goes on in verse 20 to say, This is in keeping with my earnest expectation and hope. Here's what I expect. Here's what I, what I hope. And what is that? Well, that I will, Paul writes, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul's earnest expectation and hope is that he's going to be put to shame in nothing, like there's going to be no disgrace for him before God, that he will be faithful to God all the time, always, even now, in prison. And so that I will be put to shame in nothing, but that with all boldness, with all freedom of speech and all confidence is the idea of that word, that with all frankness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul's like, I, I don't totally know the outcome of this, but whether I, I, I get out of this alive or whether I'm put to death because of my faith in Jesus and my ministry to Jesus, either way, my hope and my expectation is that Christ is going to be exalted in my body, either way. And it's on the heels of that that Paul says his famous and well-known line in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's here in this context where Paul writes those words, looking at his circumstances and not knowing the outcome of it, Paul says, Christ is going to be exalted in me. Why? Because for me, he says, to live is, is Christ, meaning to live is to live for Christ and with Christ and to honor Christ and to promote Christ and to serve Christ. So if I, if I get out of this alive and I get through this, then praise Jesus because what I want to do is live for Jesus. And if I die, if I don't get out of this alive, well, to die is to gain, meaning to die is what, what does Paul gain? He gets to go and be with Christ. He gets to go where Christ is and have his heart's desire fulfilled. And so for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so either way, Paul says, I expect that Christ is going to be exalted in and through me, through my body, because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, Paul goes on then and reflects a little bit on his circumstances, on what he kind of thinks might happen in his, his imprisonment, what he wants to have happen in his imprisonment, and why. And what we see again is uh, an example of the very statement Paul just made, that for him to live is to live for Jesus, and to die is to, to gain Jesus. And so it's a win-win situation for him. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 22. Paul writes, Now, if I am to live on in the flesh, if that's the outcome of my imprisonment, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, meaning I can continue to serve Jesus. I can continue to bear more fruit for him. Uh, and I don't know which one to choose, meaning I don't know whether 
living or dying would be better, right? To live is fruitful labor. To die is to gain Jesus. And I don't know which one to choose. If I could choose, Paul says, if I if I had my druthers, if I could choose the outcome, I'm not even sure which one I would want to choose. He says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Um, the idea of the language there is actually I'm being, I'm being squeezed from both sides. An American phrase that's roughly equivalent to this is I'm, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place, right? Like I'm, I'm kind of trapped in here. I'm squeezed from both sides. I have pressure from both sides. He has one desire, which is to go and be with Christ. He has another desire that is to continue to serve Christ. And he says, I don't know which one is best. I don't know what to choose. And so I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Jesus. That's gain. That would be wonderful. That would be incredible. And he says, for that is very much better. Like to go and be with Jesus would be the fulfillment of my heart's desire. And that would be better than sticking around here and continuing to serve. Yet, verse 24, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. There's more work to be done. I could build you up, O Philippians, and I could plant other churches and I could help people grow in the faith. And so he's like, man, I'm kind of stuck between these two things that I recognize as both necessary, both good, both wonderful things. And so he writes in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of your faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And so Paul Paul is pretty optimistic, it sounds like. He's like convinced of this, convinced that service is best for your sake. I know that I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Um, and he, he seems to have a sense that this is going to be the outcome of his his trial, uh, looking at it as from a vantage point of faith, he's like, I think this is what God's going to do because it's more necessary for your sake and for others' sake. And so I think God's going to get me out of this for that. Um, and I want to stick around and, and be there to help you guys grow or progress in the faith. And because I want, I want to bring you join the faith so that your proud confidence in me, and the idea of proud confidence is boasting, glorying. It's the kind of thing we do when our team wins a big sporting event. We high five each other. We get excited, right? We want to text all our friends. Did you see that game? Wasn't that awesome, right? That's the idea of proud confidence. So that your proud confidence in me may overflow, may abound in Christ Jesus through me coming to you again. And we can all rejoice, we can celebrate, we can hug it out, right? That's the idea here of this proud confidence. Now, let's reflect again on just some implications, some things that are really central to this section that are helpful to us. And one of the best ways to do that when studying a passage like this, where Paul is just kind of telling us about his circumstances and reflecting on that, is to bear in mind the whole purpose of this section. Why is Paul writing this, and why is he writing it the way he does? Well, we noted in our last section that even though uh, Paul is giving his news report, it's not a bare news report. He's writing it this way for the sake of the Philippians to model for them his approach to difficult circumstances, how he, the lens he looks at the world through, the lens he views his his circumstances through. How does Paul view his circumstances in life? Well, he views them through the lens of the gospel. 
and what's best for the gospel. And so the whole purpose of this section is to really set an example for the Philippian church of how he wants them to view their situation, their circumstances, and, and approach their life similarly to the way Paul is. Explicitly, he calls them to that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, where he says, The things you've seen and heard in me, practice these things. And he wants them to live out the same approach to life. And so for us, it's really the same thing. Here's, here's Paul really offering to us a different way of looking at our life. And the way we perceive our circumstances shapes our experience of those circumstances. And Paul's in prison, under house arrest, unable to work, unable to travel, unable to plant churches, and it would be easy for him to get discouraged and down. It would be somewhat natural, right? We could expect, you know, in our culture, an occasional, uh, you know, Instagram post that sounds a little bleak or a Facebook post that sounds a little discouraging and inviting prayer. And Maybe Paul had some of those experiences, but it doesn't sound like it was very often and it was a very, um, very common thing for him. And why is that? Well, it's because what Paul viewed his life through and his circumstances through was through the lens of Christ and the gospel. That's really what he cared about. So what happened to him um, really mattered very little to him if it provided an opportunity to proclaim Jesus and advance the gospel. And so we see that here in Philippians chapter 1 in Paul's circumstances that Paul says, I rejoice and I'll keep on rejoicing. Why? Because I'm being faithful to Jesus, the gospel's going forward, and I know that means I'll be able to stand before God with confidence, be acquitted and vindicated before God, holding my head high, knowing that I'm not going to be put to shame in anything, that I can stand before God without any sense of disgrace because I have been faithful to God, faithful to the gospel, faithful to my calling, and it's your guys' prayers, and it's the, the Spirit himself within me who's made that possible. My friends, that sets a really challenging example for us, doesn't it? An example of how we view our life circumstances. When they're good, why do we evaluate them as good? When they're bad, why do we evaluate them as bad? What what if we, like Paul, actually said, you know what? My life is going to be all caught up in Jesus for me to live as Christ and to die as gain so that come what may, if Jesus is being advanced and Jesus is being exalted in and through me, I'm going to rejoice in that regardless of how difficult my circumstances are. That's the aim and the intent of these verses here for us. That's the aim and the intent of Paul's example for us. So may we be people who truly live like Paul for Jesus and the gospel as the centerpiece, the hub of our life. And may we find our joy in serving him and exalting him through life and even through death through good circumstances and through difficult circumstances, through the positive things in our life and through the negative things in our life, may, may for our life, may it be to live as Christ and to die is gain. This kind of gospel-centeredness is the very thing that the Apostle Paul is going to explicitly call the Philippians to live out later in the letter, and he sets the stage for that here by using his own testimony and his own circumstances as a pattern for how he wants them and how he wants us to view our circumstances and to carry out our life.